Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How's it going this week? I'm actually doing okay. Yeah. Um, You know, I had my very public meltdown on our podcast last week, but um, I, like I said last week, when something happens like an injury, you really feel the love and you really see how many people are in your corner. And I am so overwhelmed by my friends and family and support, including you. and just the number of people who reached out. And uh, again, this is not a huge deal in the scheme of things, but in my little world, it, it is right now. And I just really appreciate the love and support. And I can't thank everyone enough. And I'm just really, really grateful. And you haven't wasted any time in getting that PR in, in recovery, <laughs> right? Like you've already started some strength training, some cross training, yeah. talking to doctors, <laughs> getting things scheduled. And yes. you're still coming to Boston, which I'm so excited about. Yes. So the update is I'm scheduled for, I did a lot of research, like I talked about last week, met with a lot of docs and I made the um, decision to go with Dr. Samuel Sanders of Maryland Orthopedics for a number of reasons. All the doctors I met with were terrific. Um, and uh, I can give recommendations out there for anyone who needs needs some um, Done information. All the research. All the research. And uh, the reason I decided to go with surgery was because of this the specific type of tear I have. There really was there really isn't another option. It would just continue to degenerate and affect my running and possibly lead to more damage to my knees. So with that, I'm scheduled for May first, and um, that allows me to go to Boston again. I feel fine, and that's what's crazy is that I want to run. Right? I feel great, but I shouldn't. You're being smart. I am. And, um, and then also go away for spring break with my kids and um, my my husband, obviously. So that'll be great. And, um, May 1st is the day and I'm already sort of thinking forward about recovery. And as a result, uh, I started strength training specifically pre-surgery with Eric Giro, uh, who over at prime fitness, who we had on the podcast just to do some additional work other than what I'm already doing for strength training to strengthen my glutes even prehab. more. Prehab. 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 And um, that's been going great. And then for my cross training, I've been cycling. I went to your cycling yes, class. Yeah, right. That's what we should mention. Yes. That was so much fun. 5.30 a.m. Not an easy feat. 5.30 a.m. on Monday. to our power cycle class at Lifetime Rockville. Lisa, Lisa, you are a great instructor. I so loved being in your class. Oh, I it gave me so, so much, much energy fun. to look out and see you. We kept smiling at each other. Yes. And it like. It, it, I woke up that morning. Usually I wake up and I'm like, oh, I have to get up. And I, I mean, I love my class. And once I get there, I love seeing everyone. I've got a great group of riders. You saw a great group of cyclists in that class. Um, but it's it's tough when I wake up. And I popped up out of bed and thought, Julie's coming to class today. So made sure I had a good playlist. And it was really, to me, energized me to see you out there. And you did great and um, got in a good workout, I think. Oh, which- definitely. You were awesome. I don't – just for anyone listening, I don't belong to the gym where Lisa right. – teaches at Lifetime. So I had to get a guest pass and it was great. I wish I could go more, but um, it was a wonderful class and you did a great job and I loved your playlist. Thank I like the little modest Yahoo you put in there. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> you know, I love modest a Yahoo. Sh- a little shout out. So that was a lot of fun. So you were doing lots of cross training yeah. and 
and and we're starting to plan for the trip to Boston. And yeah, um, I, I always promise myself every year I won't do this, but I already looked at like the 15 day forecast just out of curiosity. I like to see how it changes over the 15 days. You know, what? we're not even going to bother to talk about nope. this on the podcast <laughs> because it's irrelevant. It is. I know. I just had to fess up. I had to fess up. Yeah. So, so how's your week been? It's been good. It's been, you know, I'm really focusing on taper. I felt like I had a cold at the beginning of this week a little bit, just kind of felt, I don't know if it was allergies or cold. So I just felt a little bit more, I don't know, off. So I've been um, taking it easy, shorter runs. Um, I started doing cryotherapy again. I know I, we talked about this before. I debated whether or not I wanted to do it, especially after we talked to Christy Ashwinden and talked about different recovery modalities. And there's really no solid evidence out there that cryotherapy helps. But as Christy told us, you know, if it's something that you makes you feel better. Um, there's no harm in doing it. So I thought, I, I just felt, you know, we both talked about this. We both felt really tired and fatigued at the end of our, at the peak of our training mm-hmm. a few a few weeks ago. And I thought, you know what, can't hurt to go in and do cryotherapy. So I've been going to Thrive Cryo Studio in Rockville, our friends there who Shout are awesome. Shout out to Brandon. Yep. Our friends there who are awesome. And, um, just, uh, just doing that and trying to get more sleep. I've been trying to go to make conscious effort to get to bed early, which has been hard. I've got a project due um, this week. So I'm hustling to get that out the door so I can now then focus on taking it a little bit easier. So um, yeah, so just getting excited. I I love this time of year and I'm so glad you're going to Boston because this is like, you know, this is a highlight of our year for us is our trip up to Boston. So at first I was a little bit nervous that I might be by myself, but we're going to be up there again together. So just getting excited. And yeah, I have a really fun packed weekend so far, even though I'm not running. It's okay. Um, Maybe even more enjoyable. So Julie's going to be the number one spectator. I'm going to get a PR be, in spectating. I'm going to get a PR in spectating, but I, I'm really excited because I, I get in early on Saturday and there's two things I'm going to. The first is a New York Times panel with some of the top women runners, including Des and Sarah Sellers, um, second place Boston, female Boston winner. And it's going to be moderated by New York Times writer Lindsay Krause, who's a sub three marathoner herself. And it's going to talk about the state of women's running. That is, um, I believe, at three o'clock on Saturday. So I will be going to that. I think there are tickets still available. It's through the New York Times. I believe my ticket was $20. I usually don't pay for things, but this I felt was worth worth it. it. And following that, I am attending a podcast panel with four of um, my favorite podcasters, Lindsay Hine, Allie Feller from Allie on the Run, Tina Muir, and oh gosh, who's, oh, and Carrie Tolson. Yes, right. And those are all podcasts that I listen to regularly and they're coming together to do a, a a live podcast, all things Boston. And that is at five o'clock. So I'm going to go from there to there. And then having dinner with my uncle Saturday night and then Sunday going to the Red Sox game. It's going to be Good a thing you're not running. Weekend. You'll be exhausted. I know. I know. I'm bummed. I'm not coming up this year until early, early Sunday morning. I'm coming at I've got a 5.45 a.m. play. I know it's it's not ideal, but we have a very – our very good friends, uh, twin daughters, B'nai Mitzvah, mm. on Saturday. So would not miss that no. for anything. So I will be a little little worried about the lack of sleep heading up to Boston, but I'll try to take a nap when I get in. And um, excited that our friend from Lululemon, Lindsay, Hi, Lindsay. is coming with us now. So she's going to fly up with me and she's going to keep you company out on the course on awesome. spectating. So that's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I you, I was going to say, when you get up and you're tired, just come to our room and take a nap. Yes. I, yeah. that, that's what I'm going to do. That's my plan. And what we'd like to make the um, Catherine Switzer's 
uh, panel at uh, at the expo running late in life at 12 o'clock on Sunday. Yes. And um, speaking of Catherine, uh, we started this podcast thinking reason, you know, we were going to interview some some great experts in our area on preparation for Boston, and um, they were wonderful. We had some really great experts. Amazing. And, and as we started going along, we started thinking a little bigger, and it, I think it started with Andy Steinfeld's suggestion to us that we should maybe reach out to Boston race director Dave McGilvery and see if he talked to us, and we thought, well, that's who, – he's, he's a – Dave's know, not going to talk to us. He's got a lot going on, and you know, he doesn't need to spend time talking to us, and we shot him an email through his website, and within a few minutes, wrote back, said, sure. Why not? And uh, after, you know, it, it's just been so amazing to me. We started to think a little bit more um, along the lines of who are the, our, our inspirations and who are the people that we really look up to. And we have not gotten a single no from anyone we've reached out to. And I think that speaks to the um, the really amazing nature of the running community, that we're all runners and we're all in this together. And whether they be the one that's crossing the finish line first or somebody who's crossing it last, they're all accessible. And, and we then decided to think a little bigger and who's our biggest inspiration that we look up to. And we said, hmm, Catherine Switzer, who, for those who may not, <laughs> may not know, uh, was the first official woman to run the Boston Marathon in 1967 under the, the name, the registration name KV Switzer. So it wasn't readily uh, known that she was a woman and she got a bib and she ran, ran in the marathon and was uh, attempted to Pushed, be pushed off the course by the race director at the time. And she has gone on over her past 50 plus years of running to really shape uh, women's running and a huge, uh, you know, we look up to her immensely. And we shot her a, an email through her publicist and lo and behold, she said, sure, why not? Let's well, have let's, a conversation. Let's back up for a second. Yeah, go first ahead. You can all, tell this. Okay. So first of all, what I love about running is I have many people in the running world who I admire. And while Catherine is the GOAT, the greatest of all time, in my opinion, of women's running, there are so many people that aren't well-known who I admire. Like, I loved interviewing Brenda. Right. Yes, absolutely. I loved, and, like, well, and, and all of these. Yes. Yes. All of these people in our world that really have such amazing stories that, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, just aren't public. And it was such an opportunity for us to be able to on a small connect scale, with them. Connect, connect with them, them. and and sh and share their story with listeners. And then there's people like Catherine, where everybody knows her story, and having the opportunity to talk with her and ask her questions specifically about that story is tremendous. I can't even talk. I'm so stunned that we got to talk to her just now. But what happened was we reached out to Catherine's publicist last month, and she wrote back and said. She's really busy in April and leading up to the Boston Marathon, obviously. So I can't promise you anything, but try again. So in April. In April. Check back with me in April. So yeah. we put it in our calendar and we reached out again and we we didn't hear back. And then I just sent another email saying Just checking. Just <laughs> checking. And that email elicited a response. And so it took us three times. And we're just saying that for anyone listening, it's not always easy to do things. and But it can't hurt to try. That's what, you know, can't hurt to ask. And it's yeah. just uh, been really uh, humbling to us to have yeah. so many different runners and experts and 
really inspirational people from all walks of yes. running life uh, on this podcast. And so I think it's been such a, we started this not really knowing, you know, where it would go or what would happen, but it's given us an opportunity to to interact with all of these people and to see each other on a weekly basis. And so to interact been, with people who listen. I can't tell you how right? many people have reached out or talked to us about the podcast and have given us feedback, which we welcome. We we have loved all of the tips, um, constructive criticism, feed, stories, positive the feedback, stories, their own take stories. on. Yeah, it's been really great. And we are going to have a meetup of our runners in Boston. And once we set those details, we can let everyone know on the podcast for anyone who wants to come meet up with a with us for a picture at the, we usually meet at the finish line on Sunday. So at some point on Sunday, maybe before the the uh, panel with Catherine Switzer will plan a meetup and we can let everyone know those details once we set those. Yeah, but, uh, it would we'd be love great to, to meet, meet people. people. <laughs> like we love meeting the podcasters that we listen yes. to. Like, last year we went to a meetup where we got to meet a lot of the podcasters that we listen to on a regular basis. We'd love to meet people who have been listening all along. So we'll keep people posted on that. Definitely. So um, we are going to take it over to Catherine now. Before we um, introduce Catherine, we just want to reiterate that this probably was like one of the biggest highlights of my running experiences to talk with her. Do you think? I think everything (laughs) we've done throughout our running careers comes together to, to Right, but this is the top I mean, of the list, and it's it's really uh, you really just think about how one decision she made over fifty years ago mm-hmm. to get out on that race course and stay on the race course and finish that Boston Marathon shaped the lives and the achievements of so many people to come after her, not just women but men as well, and you know specifically for us, really shaped enabled us to do what we do today. So it is really, um, definitely I would rank it up there as one of the, one of the highlights. Yeah. And you know, we listened to a couple of Catherine's podcast interviews to prepare for this interview. And in, in addition to reading her book and it, it was great because even though we've heard the story before, she actually provided a lot of different information on this interview that we hadn't heard her say before. And, and we think that those listening will really, really like this interview. We, we found her to be fascinating and so engaging and um, we wish we could have talked to her longer, but her publicist asked us to keep it around 30 minutes. She's a busy lady. She's fine. Busy lady, but we are so grateful for her time. And I think she packed more into 30 Mm -hmm. Or so odd minutes than most people for sure can. She's very efficient, so yeah, and very full of great knowledge and yeah. Some and she's great a local stories. gal. You know, she's from Arlington, yes. Virginia. Uh, yep. She went. I think she went to Langley High School. No, it wasn't Langley, but it was, it was somewhere McLean? around. The, yeah, McLean. Uh, uh, I forget, but yes, yeah, so somewhere around. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So so anyway, some local um, ties. Yeah. So next week we will talk a little bit more about our meetup, but we're really excited because this week we're going to have two episodes out. We're um, rolling out this one today, and then we have another one coming up that we think everyone will really love. Right. Coming off of women's running Mm -hmm. and inspirational women runners, we're going to have a couple guests coming up that we think uh, people will find very, very uh, inspiring. Absolutely. So, Lisa, have a great week. You too. Bye. Bye. We are so thrilled to welcome to the podcast today, Catherine Switzer. Catherine is undoubtedly one of running's most iconic figures. She is most well-known for being the first female entrant to finish the Boston Marathon. She finished the marathon in 1967 
when it was a men's only race in spite of the race director's attempts to throw her off the course. When she crossed the finish line, her life changed forever. Catherine went on to run many races. Some of her notable finishes include winning the New York City Marathon in 1974 in a time of 3.07, and then one year later, placing second in the Boston Marathon with a PR of 2.51. Many remember Catherine running at age 70 in 2017 to mark the 50th anniversary of her 1967 race. And she finished in a time of 4.40 in spite of talking to reporters almost every mile. Catherine has also recently run the London Marathon and doesn't seem to stop. Catherine is not only a phenomenal runner, but she is a phenomenal vehicle for social change. Most recently, in 2015, she started her organization, 261 Fearless, which uses a running as a vehicle to empower women. We are so thrilled to welcome Catherine to our podcast, who will talk about her life, running, and what it's done for her. Hello, Catherine Switzer. Welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Hi, how are you guys? I'm really looking forward to this. We are doing great. Catherine, we, before we dive into your story, we first want to thank you. Yeah, we are so appreciative of you sharing your time with us and uh, the knowledge that you have and the wisdom that you've gained over the last 50 plus years of running. We are both uh, huge fans and both of us as masters, women runners, uh, look up to you as a great example of of being successful through a very long um, and and notable career. So we really appreciate you taking the time today to, to talk to us. We also... Thank you so much. I mean, it's always validating to hear a thank you. And, you know, there's so many times over that 50 years when you just wonder if, if it's going to, if the work is going to work out, if, if it's going to happen. And, and when it does, and there's so much progress, it is so exciting. So thank you, guys. Thank you for being a part of the journey. Well, it's not just our generation either. It's our children. We both have daughters uh, and sons who are active and like to run, and, and they know all about you and have read your book. And uh, know how excited we were today to talk. I just drove my kids home from school and they were so excited and they were looking everything up online and telling me all these facts about you. And I said, I know, thank you. But they're, they're excited as well. So generations, you're passing the baton on um, to future generations as well. Thank you so much. So our first question for you is we wanted to ask you, how did your dad influence your trajectory? He was unbelievable. And I tell the story about him at the beginning of all of my speeches. My mom, too. But my dad was the one that was really quite the, the most forceful and dynamic. And and sometimes little girls at 12, especially, when their fathers influence them, it's, it, you, know, you see your mother influencing you, but your father inter- intervening in your life and giving you direction is, is very flattering. And also... Um, you know, compelling. Um, so my dad uh, told me when I was home from elementary school not to be a cheerleader, that cheerleaders cheer for other people. You want people to cheer for you and that life was to participate, not to spectate that the game was on the field and how lucky I was in my high school to have something brand new called a field hockey team and I should get out and run a mile a day and I would make that team. So he was so positive. He said, you'll be a really good player. And actually, it was this mile a day that began changing my life and gave me a sense of magic, empowerment, fearlessness. And that has stayed with me now for, if you can imagine, running for 60 years. It's every day. It's magic. It really is amazing. It's beautiful. 
Yeah, we know your your father had encouraged you to run a mile every day. And and how did you decide to go from running that mile every day to uh, conquering the marathon distance? Well, uh, I was very physiologically curious. As you know, as I progressed in high school, I was wondering, gee, if I ran a mile a day, could I possibly run two or possibly run three? Which is all, all the things we all think about when we're runners. Hey, maybe I can go further. And I'd never heard of something called a marathon until I was 20 years old, nine, well, 19 really. And, um, I, and I thought, wow, you know, you can run 26 miles. Isn't that cool? So, um, uh, I also was influenced once again by my dad, who would tell us the amazing stories, my, my brother and me, and say, you know, um, in in olden times, you you could uh, humans could outrun animals, and not outrun them because anybody knows you can't outrun a deer, but you can run a deer down, and. He said, because we have this amazing capacity for endurance. So I put two and two together, and I thought, doesn't that sound kind of amazing? And it didn't occur to me that women couldn't do it. And so I thought, um, I also knew that I felt better running long than I ever felt running fast. So I kept at it and kept at it. And when I went to Syracuse University, where they had no sports at all for women, if you could imagine, um, when men had 25 sports, I asked the men's track coach if I could run on the team. And he said, no, it's against CAA rules, but I could come and work out with the team. And it was there that I met the volunteer coach, a really ancient guy, because he was 50 years old. My God. Who <laughs> 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 had a marathon runner. He'd run Boston 15 times. And it was him, Arnie Briggs, who in fact was the university mailman, who kind of took me under his wing and he told me about his amazing days at Boston. And he kept telling me I could be a really good runner. And also the men on the uh, cross-country team wouldn't come out and run with us when we started getting the mileage way up. But one night, even though we were doing 10 miles one night in a blizzard, I told Arnie that I wanted to run the Boston Marathon. And he said, well, a woman can't possibly run 26 miles. He said, you know, you can run 10, maybe you can run 15, but you can't run 26. And so the challenge was on. It was really that moment when Arnie didn't mean to challenge me, but he obviously believed the old myths that many women then still believe about women's weakness and fragility that to do anything arduous was impossible. So, you know, when, when he challenged me and finally said that if I showed him practice that I could do the distance, he would be the first person to take me. So it's important to know this part of the story because a lot of people think that I went to Boston to prove something. And actually, I went to Boston as my reward and I proved to Arnie you know, two weeks before that I could run the 26 miles. that The proof was already done in practice. So it's really interesting because both Arnie Briggs and Jock Semple were two influential men in your life in the sense that they both challenged you in saying that you couldn't do something. Um, go ahead. Yes, yes. And, and in fact, you know, when I proved to Arnie that I could do it, it we, we didn't do just the 26 miles. We actually did 31 because I said, we've got to go to Boston knowing beyond any doubt that we can cover this distance. Let's run another five mile workout. And on top of the 26, and he said, God, can you do that? And I said, yeah, can't you? I mean, I feel pretty good. <laughs> and, he, and, and he passed out at the end of the workout. <laughs> Showed and, him. And he said, and he was so excited. When he came to, he said, my God, women have this incredible potential in endurance stamina. And actually what we discovered that day back, you know, in 1967, that was 
long before I run the, the Boston Marathon, uh, well, you know, weeks before, was that, in fact, women have more endurance and stamina than men. And I was thinking, where was the balance in sport? And here I'd found it, that, that men aren't better than women, women aren't better than men. Men just have the speed, the power, and the strength. But women have the endurance, the stamina, the flexibility, and the balance. It's just as sports for 3,000 years have always been about speed, power, strength. Now, in our generation, we're changing that design model. And maybe it also means more than that. I mean, maybe it means more than just sports. Maybe it means how we work in society and how we work in business. And I think it makes us an extremely good team because essentially in life, men and women really need to go down the road together. I mean, regardless of your political or gender inclinations, the basic model has been, you know, men and women together. And um, and I support, you know, I support all kinds of genders and, and, and you know, orientations, whatever is fine with me. But here's a, here's a way that, that men and women can really work together. And in fact, even now, I'm, you know, I know I sound like a Pollyanna, but no, I think <laughs> in, in today, in today's society, you know, when, when we have me too, we have political intrigue, we have social meanness and malice rather than social media. When uh, people are suspicious of other races and religions, running really shines like a beacon. You know, we're out there together and we don't know, you know, what the nationality of this person is. We don't, you know, they speak a different language, they're a different color. We don't know a person's orientation. And yet we're out there sweating and stinking and we're hugging each other. And it has nothing to do with sex or violence and has everything to do with equality, inclusion, diversity and, and mutual support and motivation. And I think, oh my God, we can do it in running. Why can't we do this in the whole world right now? Amen. We wish runners would run, literally run, run the world. We, we completely agree. And I think that's why both of us love running is it's just such a uh, wonderful community. And that's something we've seen and something we've seen in your journey too, is that the men weren't against you and the men supported you. So the men runners in your life, uh, really, you know, the runners that you ran with back in 1967 in that first Boston marathon, that they, they supported you. Nobody was trying to kick you out. So, and, and it extends to when we get onto the start line anywhere, it's, it's a nice, it's a wonderful community. It really is. But, but you know what? Why, why can it happen in running? And it certainly does not happen if a woman wants to play, um, uh, you know, let's say she wants to join the NFL or she wants to play lacrosse or she wants to play basketball with the guys. It isn't happening. And, you know, we, then they play their own version of the sport, which is fine. That's just fine. But but how how far advanced would basketball for women be if maybe the NBA jumped on board and said, hey, come on, we're going to help you. You know, you play a different game from us, but we're going to really support you. And running men always supported us. You know, when we... After the Boston thing, when the official attacked me in the race, the men really rallied and they said, that is outrageous. That's not the way we feel about women and running. We welcome them. Who cares? They've got a share of the road. You know? And if you outrun me, you just trained harder. So it wasn't anything about um, egos. It was all about inclusion. And I, and I just, um, I'm wondering, is running different? <laughs> is there, I mean, 
is the running mentality different? Maybe we haven't had a Catherine Switzer in basketball or in in, in football yet. Maybe there's one coming down the pike that will that will prove maybe maybe that. But you're but you're right. I think the the road is sort of the great equalizer that we can all be out on the road together and we can be there with elites and we can be there with people of different genders and nationalities and different life experiences. So maybe that's that's something we've always enjoyed about running is we can get on that start line and know that we're there with those elite athletes too. And and yeah. that doesn't happen in the NFL. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. And, and it, clearly women aren't going to play in the NFL <laughs> at, at anywhere near the same level. But women are playing rugby and they're playing a different kind of sport. Uh, women's tennis now has come to be extremely popular uh, because it's a different version of, of the game. It's more finesse. It's more tactical. It's as um, people... Um, relate to it in many ways more than men's tennis, which is just speed and power. So not just speed and power. I don't, you know what I mean? Okay, it's a different kind of game, and women's basketball is a different kind of game. But we've got to increase the popularity and the opportunities for women in all of those sports across the board. Really, we really need to do that. And, and you've done that. You've you've dedicated your life to the inclusion of women and girls in running, and and help promote what it brought to you through your organization, 261 Fearless. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why you started that organization? Well, yes, I will, but there there are two phases for this. First, um, from 1977, on and off, first for 10 years and then for another eight years, I organized through Avon Cosmetics, a program called the Avon International Running Circuit. And this was a series of global races for women only. Distances went from 5K to the full marathon, and they were in 27 countries, over 400 events for over a million women. And those were the races that led to getting the women's marathon into the Olympic Games. I had to show the International Olympic Committee that women had the capability, the numbers, the international representation. And we had to get medical evidence to show that, indeed, long-distance running did not mean your uterus was going to fall out. Right. So, <laughs> so that was that was step one. And that introduced literally hundreds of thousands of women into running and that was fantastic but when that first olympic marathon occurred in 1984 in the olympic games it was utterly fabulous i thought oh boy the entire landscape of women's running around the world has changed and then you look around and like any athlete who accomplishes one level of capability you look around and you realize how much faster you need you, you still need to go and how much more you need to train um I looked around, I said, oh my God, most of the women, and even today, in 2019, most of the women in the world still live in a fearful situation, who cannot go out of their house, cannot drive a car, cannot get an education, for reasons of culture, uh, social restriction, poverty, and they're fearless, they're very fearful women, and we as fearless women, I think really owe it to those women to try to get them a way to be empowered, and one of the cheapest easiest and most convenient and transformational ways is running. It doesn't cost anything. Get your shoes on and get out the door. Certainly challenging in countries where women are not allowed to go out the door. And um, even now they are overcoming that. But 261 Fearless looks at this and says, okay, we want to tell these women they're not alone out there. And how do we how do we do that? Well, the best thing is to do a direct touch. And 261 Fearless, which was named after the famous bib number that Jock Semple tried to rip off of me in the Boston Marathon, right. um, is about reaching out, creating a community club where in a village or city or country, women can get together 
in a non-judgmental, non-competitive way, regardless of your age or your size or your athletic ability, and just get out an hour a week together to cross lines of communication, empower each other, and 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 break down these barriers of uh, intimidation. And it is working absolutely brilliantly. We're only two and a half years old. We're already in 11 countries with over 2,000 participants. And we have a very, very good training program called 261 Train the Trainer, where we train club leaders, and they are also coaches that show these women how to run safely, but more importantly, how to work in a non-judgmental environment. It's very, very important. So that's what 261 Fearless is all about. And it, and it happened all by itself, actually, at first. That 261 suddenly became this kind of magic cult number. You know, it was like three, you know for, for whatever, 48 years, it was three digits for me. And then suddenly people began writing to me and telling me and showing me pictures about how it made them feel fearless. So... Uh, I thought, well, okay, it's a sign. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's, let's create this nonprofit. And we'd encourage everybody to join us. You can go to 261fearless.org, O-R-G, and um, l- learn more about it. Start a club, join us, and take another woman by the hand and show her how to be fearless. We love that. We will definitely put that in the show notes. And just a little anecdotally, uh, we both have your picture, and your bib inspires us to be courageous and fearless. And speaking of 261, we have to ask you, after you were attacked on the course by Jock Semple, 99% of people would have quit. It was also snowing that day, and the conditions were horrible. You've shown remarkable mental strength over the course of your career, which seemed to have started then. Talk to us and tell us, what was your secret then? What were you thinking as a young 20-year-old when that happened to you, and how did you persevere and continue after that moment? You know... People ask me all the time uh, uh, that question, but in a different way. And I'm glad you asked it the way you did. They say, what do, you, what, what do you think of when you see that picture now? And they're always surprised when I say, I look at the face of a 20-year-old girl who made that colossal decision in the face of incredible intimidation. And um, how I did that. And I wonder, how did you do that? And I think, well, you know what? I've been running since I was 12 years old. And the running was the magic in my life. It made me feel fearless. and made me feel like I had a victory under my belt that nobody could take away from me. And suddenly this official attacked me. First of all, he really blindsided me. I didn't see him coming. He came up behind me fast. He jumped off the press bus. I was looking in front of me because the press truck with the photographers had slowed down and they were right in front of me shouting at me, taking pictures. And right behind me then this official came and he grabbed me and he screamed at me to get the hell out of his race and just had the fiercest face of any guy I'd ever seen. So I just tried to get away from you. I sort of screamed and um, but jumped. I was just terrified. I said, wow, you know, what is it? Um, but he grabbed me by the shirt and he kept swiping at my numbers and said, give me those numbers, give me those numbers and get out of the race. And Arnie, my coach was screaming at him. And then he, he came, he lunged at me a third time. And of course it was like a nightmare cause I couldn't move. You know, I was trying to move, but he kept pulling me by the shirt. And then my, um, my boyfriend, <laughs> this is the funny part of the story. My boyfriend <laughs> came and gave him an incredible, um, cross body block, kind of a shoulder charge and bumped <laughs> bopped him out of the race yeah but you know what see you're laughing but at the time i was so terrified and then my boyfriend hit him so hard 
I thought we were all going to go to jail. Yeah, I love in your book. In your book, you say you weren't sure he was alive still. So. <laughs> I know. So hard. You know, it's really interesting. You watch um, uh, American football now, and they have a uh, obviously a microphone close to the guys when they hit, because you can hear that crunch sound. And I heard that for the first time, but it was like he just crunched him. Oh, um, and poor Arnie. You know, he was so skinny and small, and he screamed, "Run like hell!" <laughs> but how did I make the decision? You know, for a split second, definitely. I was so scared. I wanted to run away, but I couldn't because he had me by the shirt. Okay. And then I wanted to hide my face in shame because he so embarrassed me and people were all looking at me and the press were all screaming at me. And the, but the men were totally bewildered and saying, Hey, 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 what's going on? You know? And I was just in the center of in a very, very embarrassing situation, and I um, and was scared, of course. So um, when I got away and we were running and the press truck was right on us all the time, I, I realized at that moment I really, really had to finish the race. They were very aggressive. Um, what are you trying to prove? When are you going to drop out? You're not really going to run. This is a joke, right? And I just kept my head down and kept running and I finally they drifted away and that's when I turned to my coach and I said I'm going to finish this race on my hands and my knees if I have to because if I don't nobody's going to believe women can do this and I I, I, I knew if I dropped out which is what I felt like doing because I was so afraid um, that, that women women wouldn't be taken seriously it was the eve of the second great women's liberation movement and women were getting pilloried for barging and as they said in the news, barging into places where they are not welcome and they can't do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, how are you going to do it anyway when people attack you like that? Sure. You know, you, they set you up for failure. They create no opportunities. So I said, what? I, there's no point in dropping out. What am I going to do? And I, you know, I don't have a way home. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to finish the race. And it was, it was miserable and cold oh. and, and, and we were soaking wet. Everybody, well, everybody was miserable, but fortunately I've been training up in Syracuse, New York, and it doesn't get any worse than that. And, um, so, you know, I, you know, I was tough. And, and finally, you know, you can't run 26 miles and stay mad. So by the time I got to heartbreak hill, I was over my anger. And I realized that, that Jock Semple, the official who attacked me, was just a product of his time. He, was, he, he represented so many men who couldn't possibly believe that a woman was uh, capable of doing this. And he personally took this as an offense to him. It was his race. And I was making him look like a fool because I had gotten a, a bib number. And I got a bib number because Arnie said, this is a serious race. You have to follow the rules. You have to enter the race. And you have to pay your entry fee. And I said, oh, I thought with Boston, you know, you could just kind of go up and jump in the race. He said, no, no, no. And um, because, you know, Roberta Gibb had done that the year before. Sure. She she was on the uh, hit behind the bushes in Hopkinton and jumped into the race. And I thought, oh. I thought anybody could do that. He said, no, this is really serious. You don't do that. So when I got the entry form and it had nothing about gender on it and nothing in the rule book about gender, I said to Arnie, I said, Chief Chris, you know, I'm going to be noticed up in Boston, but there's nothing about gender here. And he said, well, of course, there's nothing about gender because nobody would believe a woman could or would want to even run a marathon. And I'm really proud of you, he said. It was really nice. So I signed it, but I signed my name, KB Switzer. 
And of course, everybody in the world thinks I was doing that on purpose to defraud the officials. It's not true. I had always, I've been signing my name with my initials since I was 12, because at the same time I started running, I started writing for my high school newspaper, and my name, Catherine, was oddly spelled. My dad had misspelled it on my birth certificate. Everybody always misspelled it when, you know, it was getting printed anyplace. So I started reading J.D. Salinger and E.E. E. Cummings, and mm-hmm. I thought, when you're a sports writer, you should sign your name with your initials. So it stayed. <laughs> and that's why I went to Syracuse, because I wanted to study journalism. At Newhouse. And I, yeah. And- I, wanted to be, I wanted to be a sports writer. We love it. And we love that you you looked at Jock Semple and instead of being angry at him, you looked at him as a product of his time. And now when you think of Jock Semple, what are your thoughts about him? Well, you have to know that after uh, five years, he had to admit us to the Boston Marathon because women are very good at getting together with each other and making <laughs> things and making things happen. So it wasn't just me at Boston in, uh, after uh, 1967. Other women began running. And then we started putting our heads together, and the men were really helpful, saying, this is ridiculous. You guys are running down around three hours. You know, this is serious running, and you should be official. So we campaigned against um, and with the AAU, the governing body of the sport at the time, then known as the Amateur Athletic Union. And we got women official in the marathon, and Jock had to admit us to the Boston Marathon. It was the first major marathon that accepted, had to accept us. And he really has steam coming out of his ears. And he said, if girls are going to run in my race, they have to meet the men's qualifying time, which we did, which was 3.30. Back in, you know, 1970, that was pretty fast. Yeah. Um, so, um, and actually it was 72 that, that um, we got official. So in 1972, there were eight of us who could do it. There were eight of us there. And suddenly Jock Semple opened his eyes and he said, well, gee, they ran pretty well. Like, <laughs> We hadn't been doing it for five years. So um, he then came up to me on the starting line in 1973 and gave me a big kiss on the cheek. He never, he never apologized, but we became <laughs> okay. really good friends. We became very good friends. And I was actually with him just a few hours before he died. Um, and, and people say, oh, my God, that's a lot of forgiveness. But you know what? I mean, life is, life is too short not to forgive. And how could you not love somebody, really, who um, – not only changed your life in such an amazing way, but changed millions of women's lives. You know, that photograph has changed millions of women's lives. And um, I have to thank him for as bad as the, the time was, for as bad as many of the years later that it was for me to fight for inclusion. He inspired me. And sometimes the worst things in your life can become the best things. You just take it uh, as, as the negative and you look at it in another way and say, if this is a negative, there has to be a way of making it a positive. And that often becomes an opportunity or even a goal and, or even a career in my case, because suddenly I became, you know, um, you know, I went with, to Avon with my proposal. I had now a career in sports marketing. And then when the women's marathon was included in the Olympic Games, I was asked to do the broadcast for ABC for the Olympic Games. And hence other marathons after that. And I've done the broadcast of the Boston Marathon for 41 years. So, you know, um, these things began to happen. And now, you know, here I am at 72 with a nonprofit. So who would have ever imagined all this? Well, it's amazing what you what's amazing what you've accomplished. You achieved a PR of two fifty one at Boston after an initial time of four twenty. You won the New York City Marathon in a hundred degree temperatures, 
And you ran the London Marathon in the heat most recently. You've done so many amazing things. And we wanted to ask you, aside from the obvious uh, 1967 race we just talked about, are there any particular marathon memories that stick out for you from your running experiences? Oh, God, there are millions. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, how can I find just a few? First of all, everybody, every time you run a marathon, you go through another life experience. <laughs> we do, right? It's a whole, a whole life-affirming um, epiphanies that, that you discover. I would say um, one of the highlights of running was, and actually I didn't finish this marathon. I actually started to, uh, on purpose. I wasn't ready to do it, but I was invited at the last minute and had to be there. One of the most amazing was to be in the Berlin Marathon three days before reunification of oh, wow. East Germany and West Germany. And we, wow. we went through the Brandenburg Gate into East Germany for the first time. And it laid a lot of ghosts to rest for me because I was born in Germany. War, and that, so the, the Cold War was a, was a dominant memory of my, my adolescence and my young, my young adulthood. And my dad was in the military, so it was, that was fundamental for me. Um, the other one that was just unbelievable for me was – was running um, Athens for the 2,500th anniversary of the oh. Battle of Marathon. So to be there for that one was really, really astonishing. Um, Boston, of course, on my 50th anniversary. Yes. I'll come back to that. Uh, but um, one more. London last year was very, very important. It was the 100th anniversary of women getting the right to vote. So we were running with 25,000 women on the same streets that the suffragettes uh, marched uh, 100 years ago. And that was important. But more importantly for me was that I actually organized the first marathon in London, oh. in London, in downtown streets. It was the Avon Marathon in 1980, which got the women's marathon into the Olympic Games. And and I, I'd never myself actually been able to run it. And it was then became kind of the design model for what is now the London Marathon. Yes. So that was amazing. But the biggest was you know, that last year, um, running, it's well, 2017, running the book, my 50th anniversary. Let me tell you, it was the happiest day of my life. You know, sometimes I ball the happiest day of your life, the day you get married, the day you have a baby, whatever. That was the happiest day of my life because, um, you know, I could quick, easily remember the 67, you know, standing there with a bib number on, not realizing I was the first woman to wear a bib number. Um, in, 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 certainly I knew it was in Boston, but not in um, maybe all marathons. But then 50 years later to be surrounded by 13,500 women with a bib number. Yes. And, and going through the streets and people shouting things like, you should be home making dinner for your husband. Oh, God. <laughs> they were cheering and for you. To, to holding up signs, total strangers holding these signs, screaming, 261, 261. Uh, you know, and, and not even knowing it was me who was going by. Wow. Screaming to everybody, 261, women's equality, women all the way. Um, and, and the, you know, crossing the finish line, feeling great. You know, I felt, I ran really, really great. And, you did. Uh, you requalified at age. I, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, it was. It was so good. It was great. On YouTube, you can find all of this. Like, my husband looked at that and he said, you talked on camera the entire way. <laughs> I was having a good time. <laughs> um, 
But when I crossed the finish line in Boston in 2017, two things. One, I was greeted by my dear, dear friend, Joanne Flaminio, who is the first woman president of the Boston Athletic Association in the 135 years. So how fitting was massive. And standing next to her, I, I, I totally was not expecting, was my husband, who said uh, he was covering for Runner's World and was working in the press room. Um, and I thought, there's no way he's going to be able to get out on time to see me finish. And he managed to get his story done, and, and he was standing down on the, the finish line. And you know how you have this romantic fantasy of, you know, you come into the stadium and your your great love is waiting at the finish line. You have a triumphant race, and you fall into his arms. <laughs> and you got that. You got it. <laughs> we, we all have that fantasy, right? And there he was. And we had this big smacking kiss and the NBC was filming it. And then they kind of looked like, uh, okay. You <laughs> That's great. That's like really your life coming full circle where, from where you started to where you, where you were a couple of years ago at Boston, seeing the fruits of all of your labor and that one decision that you made on the course in 1967 to keep going that one decision look what it's done over over 50 years. And that is just really, um, really remarkable. And, and we want to wrap it up because we know your time is short. And we're just wondering, we have a lot of listeners that are preparing for Boston in just a, a little over a week. What, based on all your years of experience and running it and spectating and, and commentating, what do you want to say to those that are getting ready to run this year's Boston Marathon? Oh, well, two things. Um, well, there's a zillion things, but real too quickly, two things. One, first of all, um, be prepared for any kind of weather. I mean, it could be 90 degrees or it could be like last year. It was like running for 26 miles in the cold yeah. cycle, spin cycle of Washington. Okay, that's yes. how bad it was. So be prepared for anything. Gloves, hat, wool, bring it, bring it. And also be prepared for heat. Um, the other thing is this, is enjoy the Boston experience. If it's your first time at Boston, it's going to change your life. Every marathon changes your life. But Boston is the oldest continuously running marathon in the world. It has a lot of history. The crowd is very close to you on the streets. Savor this experience. It is It is a gift. And the journey is absolutely fantastic. Because um, you'll never forget it. It'll change your life. Thank you so much, Catherine. You have changed so many lives, including ours, from all you've done. And we thank you for all you've done for women's running, running in general, and we thank you for your time today. And we hope we get to meet you in Boston. We'll both be there. <laughs> we'll, we'll be there with lots of activities. Check out all the links on, uh, and, and also on my website, marathonwoman.com and 261fearless.org. Um, we have wonderful activations going on, and you guys are welcome to attend. We, we will. will there for thank sure. you so much, Catherine Switzer. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.